Chapter 9. John McNabb had never in his life met a kid he couldn't strike out. Until the rent. Now, as he thought about it, he came to two conclusions. One, he couldn't stand having this blemish on his record. Two, if you beat a kid up, it's the same as striking him out. So McNabb and his pals went looking for the kid. They called themselves the Cobras. Nobody messed with them. At least, nobody in the West End. The Cobras had heard that the kid hung around the park in the tracks, and that's where they spotted him one Saturday afternoon on the tracks by the path that ran from the Oriole Street dead end to the park. He was down by the Red Hill and headed away from them, book in hand, as usual. But the Cobras just stood there, stunned. I don't believe it, said one Cobra. Must be a trick, said another. I've heard about it, said another, but I didn't believe it. It wasn't a trick. It was true. The kid was running on the rail. McNabb scooped up a handful of track stones. He launched one. He snarled, he's dead. Let's get him. By the time McManiac looked back, they were almost on him. He wobbled once, leapt from the rail to the ground, and took off. He was at the Oriole Street dead end, but his instinct said no, not the street. Too much open space. He stuck with the tracks. Coming into view above him was the house on Rako Hill, where he had eaten spaghetti. He could go there, to the whistling mother, the other kids, be safe. They wouldn't follow him there, would they? Stones clanked off the steel rails. He darted left, skirted the dump, wove through the miniature mountain range of stone piles and into the trees, skiing on his heels down the steep bank and into the creek. Frogs plopping, no time to look for stepping rocks. Yells behind him now, war whoops, stones pelting the water, stinging his back. Ah, the other side, through the trees and picker bushes past the armory jeeps and out into the park boulevard, past the Italian restaurant on the corner, the bakery, screeching tires, row houses, streets, alleys, cars, porches, windows, faces staring, faces, faces, the town whizzing past maniac, a blur of faces, each face staring from its own window, each face in its own personal frame, in its, its own house, its own address, some place to be where there was no other place to be. How lucky to be a face staring out from a window. And then, could it be? The voices behind him were growing faint. He slowed, turned, stopped. They were lined up at a street, a block back. They were still yelling and shaking their fist, but they weren't moving off the curb. And now they were laughing. Why were they laughing? The Cobras were standing at Hector Street. Hector Street was the boundary between the East and West Ends. Or, to put it another way, between the Blacks and Whites. Not that you ever saw a white in the east end or a black in the west end. People did cross the line now and then, especially if they were adults and it was daylight. But nighttime, forget it. And if you were a kid, day or night, forget it. Unless you had business on the other side, such as sports teams or school. But don't just be strolling along as if you belonged there, as if you weren't afraid, as if you didn't even notice you were a different color from everybody around you. The Cobas were laughing because they figured the dumb, scraggly runt would get out of the east end in about as good a shape as a bare big toe on a convention of snapping turtles. Chapter 10. Of course, Maniac didn't know any of that. He was simply glad the chase was over. He turned and started walking, catching his breath. East Chestnut, East Marshall, Green Street, Arch Street... He had been around here before, that first day with that girl named Amanda, 
other days jogging through, but this was Saturday, not a school day, and there was something different about the streets. Kids. All over. One of them jumped down from a front step and planted himself right in front of Maniac. Maniac had to jerk to a stop to keep from plowing into the kid. Even so, their noses were practically touching. Maniac blinked and stepped back. The kid stepped forward. Each time Maniac stepped back, the kid stepped forward. They pulled, they traveled practically half a block that way. Finally, Maniac turned and started walking. The kid jumped around and plunked himself in front again. He bit off a chunk of the candy bar he was holding. Where are you going? He said. Candy bar flakes flew from his mouth. I'm looking for Sycamore Street, said Maniac. Do you know where it is? Yeah, I know where it is. Maniac waited, but the kid said nothing more. Well, uh, do you think you could tell me where it is? Stone was softer than the kid's glare. No. Maniac looked around. Other kids had stopped playing or staring. Someone called, Do em, Mars! Someone else, Waste em! The kid, as you probably guessed by now, was none other than Mars Bar Thompson. Mars Bar heard the calls, and the stone got harder. Then suddenly he stopped glaring. Suddenly... He was smiling. He held up a candy bar an inch from Maniac's lips. Want a bite? Maniac couldn't figure. You sure? Yeah, go ahead. Take a bite. Maniac shrugged, took the Mars bar, bit off a chunk, and handed it back. Thanks. Dead silence along the street. The kid had done the unthinkable. He had chomped on one of Mars own bars. Not only that, but white kids just didn't put their mouths where black kids had had theirs, be it soda bottles, spoons, or candy bars. And the kid hadn't even gone for the unused end. He had chomped right over Mars Bar's own bite. Mars Bar was confused. Who was this kid? What was this kid? As usual, when Mars Bar got confused, he got mad. He thumped Maniac on the chest. You think you bad or something? Maniac, who was now twice as confused as Mars Bar, blinked. Huh? You think you come down here and be bad? That what you think? Mars Bar was practically shouting. No, said Maniac. I don't think I'm bad. I'm not saying I'm an angel either. Not even real good. Somewhere in between, I guess. Mars Bar jammed his arms downward, stuck out his chin, and sneered. Am I bad? Maniac was befuddled. I don't know. One minute you're yelling at me, the next minute you're giving me a bite of your candy bar. The chin jutted out more. Tell me I'm bad. Maniac didn't answer. Flies stopped buzzing. I said, tell me I'm bad. Maniac blinked, shrugged, sighed. It's none of my business. If you're bad, let your mother or father tell you. Now it was Mars Bar doing the blinking, stepping back, trying to sort things out. After a while, he looked down. What's that? Before Maniac answered, a book, Mars Bar had snatched it from his hand. This ain't yours, he said. He flipped through some pages. Looks like mine. It's somebody else's. It's mine. I'm keeping it. With rattlesnake speed, Maniac snatched the book back, except for one page, which stayed ripped in Mars Bar's hand. Give me the page, said Maniac. Mars Bar grinned. Take it, fish belly. Silence. Eyes. The flies were waiting, east end vultures. Suddenly, neither kid could see the other because a broom came down like a straw curtain between their faces and a voice said, I'll take it. It was the lady from the nearest house out to sweep her steps. She lowered the broom but kept it between them. 
Better yet, she said to Marsbar, just give it back to him. Marsbar glared up at her. This wasn't an 11-year-old on the East End who could stand up to Marsbar glare. Marsbar's Mars bars glare. In the West End, even high schoolers were known to crumble under the glare. Two old ladies on both sides of Hector Street? It was all but fatal. And when Mars bar stepped off a curb and combined the glare with a super low dip stride slump shuffle, well, it was said he could back up traffic all the way to Bridgeport while he took 10 minutes to cross the street. But not this time. This time Mars bar was up against an East End lady in her prime and she was matching him eyeball for eyeball. And when it was over, only one glare was left standing, and it wasn't Marsbar's. Marsbar handed back the torn page, but not before he crumpled it into a ball. The broom pushed him away, turned him around, and swept him up the street. The lady looked down at Maniac, a little of the glare lingering in her eyes. You better get on, boy, where you belong. I can't be following you around. I got things to do. Maniac just stood there a minute. There was something he felt like doing, and maybe he would have, but... The lady turned around and walked back inside her house and shut the door. So, he walked away. Chapter 11. Now what? Maniac uncrumpled the page, flattened it out as best he could. How could he return the book to Amanda in this condition? He couldn't, but he had to. It was hers. Judging from that morning, she was pretty finicky about her books. What would make her matter? To not get the book at all or to get it back with a page ripped out? Maniac cringed at both prospects. He wandered around the East End, jogging slowly, in no hurry, now to find 728 Sycamore Street. He was passing a vacant lot when he heard an all-too-familiar voice. Hey, Fishbelly! He stopped, turned. This time, Mars Bar wasn't alone. A handful of other kids trailed him down the sidewalk. Maniac waited. Coming up to him, Mars Bar said, where are you running, boy? Nowhere. You running from us? You afraid? No, I'd just like to run. You want to run? Mars Bar grinned. Go ahead. We'll give you a head start. Maniac grinned back. No, thanks. Mars Bar held out his hand. Give me my book. Maniac shook his head. Mars Bar glared. Give me it. Maniac shook his head. Mars Bar reached for it. Maniac pulled it away. They moved in on him now. They backed him up. Some high schoolers were playing basketball up the street, but they weren't noticing. And there wasn't a broom-swinging lady in sight. Maniac felt a hard flatness against his back. Suddenly, his world was very small and very simple. A brick wall behind him, a row of scowling faces in front of him. He clutched the book with both hands. The faces were closing in. A voice called, That you, Jeffrey? The faces parted. At the curb was a girl on a bike. Amanda. She hoisted the bike to the sidewalk and walked it over. She looked at the book at the torn page. Who ripped my book? Marsbar pointed at Maniac. He did. Amanda knew better. You ripped my book. Marsbar's eyes went as big as headlights. I did not. You did. You lie. I didn't. You did. She let the bike fall to Maniac. She grabbed the book and started kicking Marsbar in his beloved sneakers. I got a little brother and a little sister that cran all over my books. And I got a dog that eats them and poops on them. And that's just inside my own family. And I'm not going to have nobody else messing with my books. You understand? By then, Mars Bar was hauling up the street past the basketball players who were rolling in the asphalt with laughter. Amanda took the torn page from Maniac. To her, it was the broken wing of a bird, a pet out in the rain. She turned misty eyes toward Maniac. 
It's one of my favorite pages. Maniac smiled. We can fix it. The way he said it, she believed. Want to come to my house? She said. Sure, he said. Chapter 12. When they walked in, Amanda's mother was busy with her usual tools, a yellow plastic bucket and a sponge. She was scrubbing purple crayon off the TV screen. Mom, said Amanda, this is Jeffrey. She whispered, what's your last name? He whispered, McGee. She said, McGee. Mrs. Beale held up a hand, hold it, and went on scrubbing. When she finally finished, she straightened up, turned, and said, now what? Mom, this is Jeffrey McGee, you know. Amanda was hardly finished when Maniac zipped across the room and stuck out his hand. Nice to meet you, Mrs. Mrs. Beale. Mrs. Beale. They shook hands. Mrs. Beale smiled. So you're the book boy. She started nodding. Amanda came home one day. Mom, there's a boy I loaned one of my books out to. Loaned a book? You? Mommy practically made me. He really likes books. I met him on... Mom! Amanda screeched. I never said all that. Mrs. Beale nodded solemnly. No, of course you didn't. She gave Maniac a huge wink, which made Amanda screech louder until something crashed in the kitchen. Mrs. Beale ran. Amanda and Maniac ran. The scene in the kitchen stopped them cold. One little girl, eyes wide, standing on a countertop. One little boy, eyes wide, standing just below her on a chair. One shattered glass jar and some stringy pale-colored glop on the floor. One growing cloud of sauerkraut fumes. The girl was Hester, age four. The boy was Lester, age three. In less than five minutes, while Mrs. Beale and Amanda cleaned up the floor, Hester and Lester and their dog Bow Wow were in the backyard wrestling and tickling and jumping and just generally going wild with their new buddy and victim, Maniac McGee. Maniac was still there when Mrs. Beale came home from his Saturday shift at the tire factory. <clears throat> he was there for dinner when Hester and Lester pushed their chairs alongside his. He was there to help Amanda mend her torn book. He was there to he was there watching TV afterward with Hester riding one knee and Lester the other. He was there when Hester and Lester came screaming down the stairs with a book, Amanda screaming even louder after them, and kids shoving the book and finding themselves into Maniac's lap. Amanda finally calming down because they didn't want to cram the book, they only wanted Maniac to read. And so he read Lyle Lyle Crocodile to Hester and Lester, and even though they pretended not to listen to Amanda and Mr. Beale. And Mr. and Mrs. Beale. And he was there when Hester and Lester were herded upstairs to bed, and Mrs. Beale said, Don't you think it's about time you're heading home, Jeffrey? Your parents will be wondering. So Maniac, wanting to say something but not knowing how, got into the car for Mr. Beale to drive him home. And then he made his mistake. He waited for only two or three blocks to go by before saying to Mr. Beale, This is it. Mr. Beale stopped, but he didn't let Miss Maniac out of the car. He looked at him funny. Mr. Beale knew what his passenger apparently didn't. East End was East End, and West End was West End. And the house this white lad was pointing to was filled with black people, just like every other house on up to Hector Street. Mr. Beale pointed this out to Maniac. Maniac's lips started to quiver right there. With the car idling in the middle of the street, Maniac told him that he didn't really have a home unless you counted the deer shed at the zoo. Mr. Beale made a U-turn right there and headed back. Only Mrs. Beale was still downstairs when they walked into the house. She listened to no more than 10 seconds worth of Mr. Beale's explanation before saying to Maniac, you're staying here. Not long after, Maniac was lying in Amanda's bed, Amanda having been carried over to Hester and Lester's room where she often slept anyway. Before Maniac could go to sleep, however, there was something he had to do. 
he flipped off the covers and went downstairs. Before the puzzled faces of Mr. and Mrs. Beale, he opened the front door and looked at the three cast iron digits nailed to the doorframe. Seven, two, eight. He kept staring at them, smiling. Then he closed the door, said a cheerful good night, and went to bed. Maniac McGee finally had an address. Chapter 13. Amanda was happy to give up her room for Maniac. It gave her an excuse to sleep with Hester and Lester every night. Most of the time during the day, the little ones drove her crazy, but she couldn't stand to be in the same hemisphere with them. But at night, the best thing was to have them snuggled up on both sides of her. It made no sense, but that's how it was. Mr. Beale divided the little one's rooms into two sections with a panel of plywood, and Amanda moved her stuff into the back part. Except for her suitcase of books, that stayed in her old room with Maniac. The way Maniac fit in, you would have thought he was born there. He played with the little ones and read them stories and taught them things. He took Bow Wow out for runs and did the dishes without anybody asking, which made Amanda feel guilty, so she started to dry. He carried out the trash, mowed the grass, cleaned up his own spills, turned out the lights, put the cap back on the toothpaste tube, flushed the toilet, and, Mrs. Beale called it the miracle on Sycamore Street, he kept his room neat. Every morning, Mrs. Beale looked in on it. No socks on the floor, no drawers open, no messed up bed. That was the most amazing thing, the bed. It looked as if it hadn't been slept in, which she soon found out was the case. Late one night, she opened the door and found Maniac sleeping on the floor. She lugged him onto the bed, but by the next night, he was back on the floor. Maniac just couldn't stand being too comfortable. Lying on a mattress gave him a weird feeling of slowly rising on a scoop of mashed potatoes. He was that way with chairs, too. If he had a choice, he usually sat on the floor. Other strange things happened in the house, such as the yellow bucket and sponge spent more time gathering dust in the cellar and less time in Mrs. Beale's hands. Because with Maniac around, Hester and Lester lost their interest in cranning everything in sight, and therefore, sometimes for 15 minutes in a row, Mrs. Beale was seen doing something she hadn't done since the little ones were born. Nothing. Such as Amanda leaving her suitcase of books home. Such as everybody's fingertips starting to heal, because Maniac took over the endless, thankless job of untying Hester and Lester's sneaker knots, such as Hester and Lester, Lester starting to enjoy a bath, which was the solution to a very huge problem in the Beale household. Once upon a time, Hester and Lester loved getting a bath, as long as Amanda was one, was, got one with them. It was a little crowded, especially when the little ones added their boats and floating dinosaurs, but it was fun and warm and yelpy and soapy. Then came the day when Amanda entered fourth grade, and she decided she was getting too old to tub it with her little brother and sister. They begged her and begged her, but she wouldn't get in. They tried to storm the bathroom when she was in there, but she locked the door on them. And so the little ones went on strike. They played their hands on Lyle Lyle Crocodile and swore they would never take another bath until Amanda joined them. And even though they couldn't stop their much larger mother from lifting them and plunking them into the water, they could refuse to touch soap or the washcloth. They could make her do it, and they could sit there all stiff with their chins down and their chests and their arms folded tightly and their legs clamped together, and if their mother tried to wash their armpits, she would have to get a crowbar and pry their arms up because they sure as heck were not going to move. And that's the way it was for a long time, until Maniac arrived. On that first Sunday, as soon as the little ones found out that their new pal had slipped over, they mobbed him. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, get a bath with us, will ya? Maniac replied, sure, okay, not thinking much about it. After all, it was still before breakfast. But the little ones never let up, and at exactly 9.15 a.m., the three of them got into the tub. 
By the time they got out, it was too late to go to church and almost lunchtime. From then on, the baths usually took place at night. Sometimes Mrs. Beale would poke her head in and stare. One little black girl, one little black boy, one medium white boy. And she would smile and wag her head and sigh. Never saw such a tub. The time she heard Hester and Lester yelling for help, though, she was downstairs. She came running. What's the matter? The little ones pointed. Look. She looked. Maniac was covered in blotches, round, red blotches, all shiny from the bathwater. They looked something like little pepperonis. They took him to the doctor. The doctor took a look and said it wasn't chickenpox and it wasn't the measles. He said it might be an allergy. He asked what the boy had had for dinner. Mrs. Beale answered pizza. Well, <laughs> the doctor chuckled. Can't be that. Can you imagine a youngster getting sick on pizza? Everybody laughed. Besides, said the doctor, this would have shown up on him since he was little, most likely, every time he came near a pizza. He turned to Maniac, still chuckling. You have eaten pizza before, haven't you? Maniac got a funny expression on his face. He looked around. Everybody was staring at him. The silence grew longer, eyes grew wider. And that's how they found out Maniac McGee was allergic to pizza.